This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Hello, everyone. I'm Clint Yates coming to you today on iUniverse Radio. An interesting topic to talk about today as we dive into another book for you today, Christianity and the Cosmic Consciousness, a commentary on the words of Jesus is the title of the book we're going to talk about today. It's been written by Dr. Alexis Hohen, who joins us today on the iUniverse line. Hello, Dr. Hohen. How are you today? I am fine, thank you. How are you? I am I'm doing terrific. Well, let's dive right into this. It, just your title uh, really brings out some curiosity in me. Christianity and the Cosmic Consciousness. It's com- Christianity and Cosmic consciousness. consciousness. A commentary on the words of Jesus. Tell us, a, give us just a thumbnail of, of what we're looking at in your book. Well, I uh, basically... Uh, uh, the, the the principal uh, idea here is that uh, uh, there were everything, uh, all dead and life, nature, and all of us as our innermost nature contain uh, the will to create, the will not only to be the way we are, but also to advance uh, creation. And uh, if this hadn't been the case, then uh, uh, the Big Bang could not have occurred because there is some principle, some creative principle in the world that is universal, and that is our universal innermost nature. And if we realize that, if we realize that unity of everything that exists and that we belong to it, we already have eternal life and we also see the need to love each other. We realize our identity. And the words of Jesus guide us toward that goal uh, through preaching love and tolerance. And uh, uh, that, I believe, is the principle of Christianity. I do not contradict the dogmas of the Catholic Church or any other church, uh, because uh, what I'm writing here doesn't contradict uh, the teaching, doesn't contradict uh, the existence of a personal God, uh, but it just tries to interpret the word of Jesus uh, without assuming that there is a God ruling the world, although I personally believe that my life is somehow guided by a higher power. But this is not the subject of the book. Again, the name of the book we're talking about today is Christianity and Cosmic Consciousness. The author of the book, Dr. Alexis Owen, is on the iUniverse line with us. So why did you decide to, to, to tackle this particular topic, Doctor? Well, because all my life I've been wondering, and I think most uh, uh, people uh, actually wonder about uh, what our life is all about and uh, what is the purpose of life and uh, uh, where it leads us, 
And actually, if we realize uh, our innermost nature, uh, which unites all of us, uh, we realize that our main goal is fulfilling this innermost nature. And uh, this is what I was trying to express uh, by writing the book. And uh, actually to satisfy my own desire to understand what life is all about. Now, is there any how-to in this, Doctor, of, of how you accomplish this or how you begin this in your lifestyle? Well, I've been uh, thinking about it uh, for about 50 years. In fact, uh, uh, a friend said, oh, you published a book. How long did it take you to write it? Well, I said 50 years about. But as far as like the individual that picks up the book, are we going to find some, I mean, I, I understand the concept that you're talking about, I think, but is there some how-to of how to apply that to to your life or to an individual's life? In their own life, I think uh, no matter what uh, they are, uh, uh, their individual goals and problems are, uh, I think uh, that they all uh, uh, want uh, to uh, love and they all uh, want to create something and leave something behind. And uh, I think uh, the book kind of explains that... uh, uh, the particular desire of everybody. And I, I think that uh, in this book I talk about uh, the innermost uh, human nature, uh, the desire to love and to create, and I compare the human nature with a beam of light that has to proceed according to what it is. But, of course, it is... Uh, uh, reflected and slowed down uh, by the media through which it passes. In the same way, our life, our ultimate goal is uh, this uh, love and creativity, and this is what is basically taught by Jesus. Uh, but we certainly encounter many obstacles. I think our um, listeners today would be interested to know that you were actually born in Ukraine, educated in Munich, then came to the United States where you finished your education and practiced medicine. So you've kind of had a, a global kind of experience, as you as you mentioned, 50 years of putting this book yes, together. Yes, I was in, uh, born in, in Odessa in the Ukraine, and uh, I uh, uh, was uh, indoctrinated there. This was uh, in the Stalin era, and uh, I was indoctrinated with atheism uh, and uh, about how wonderful communism was. And then, of course, uh, I couldn't quite believe all that because my father was arrested and, uh, and, and shot, and that's a long story. There were 17 million people, uh, innocent mostly, arrested like that. And uh, then after uh, the German occupation, my mother and I went to live with relatives in Germany, and so I was indoctrinated there with uh, uh, National Socialism, and then, of course, the war ended, and uh, a new era started, and I uh, was now exposed to all the benefits of uh, freedom and democracy, and then we came to the United States, and so I've been exposed to many different political systems, and uh, uh, I was exposed to different religious denominations because I uh, personally was uh, baptized Lutheran, but uh, my mother was uh, uh, 
Russian Orthodox, and um, then I became Catholic uh, when I uh, came to the United. Uh, when I got married, so uh, I've been exposed to many <coughs> different political systems and uh, religious views, and uh, it certainly makes you wonder and makes you try to find some common bond between all these things. Do you think, Doctor, somewhere in there, this is kind of an open-ended question, but does religion, in your view, fall short in any particular place when it comes to these ideas that you have in your book? Well, yes. I think that uh, particularly what I uh, find uh, uh, in the Catholic Church, I attend uh, church, and uh, uh, we proclaim uh, uh, the uh, faith, uh, the, our confession of faith, and uh, it is full of all kinds of unnatural events that uh, we're supposed to believe in and uh, uh, may well be justified in believing in, but uh, there is nothing about uh, uh, loving your neighbor and uh, uh, sacrificing uh, uh, to your neighbor, and uh, uh, I think uh, there is definitely something lacking, and I think that the new pope has actually said that uh, when he said that uh, uh, caring for other people is more important than the dogmas uh, that the church pronounces. So is this for an individual? Do you find a place that maybe the church can turn its thinking, or is it just uh, so well, many yes, centuries of religion? It might be able to turn its thinking. There has been, of course, uh, there have been movements within the church, like liberation theology, that has uh, uh, tried to uh, uh, get involved politically to become more socially conscious. I, I think that's very important, but uh, I mean, I, I have no idea. Things change very slowly, you know, in all organizations. <laughs> yeah, that that is very true. Well, what is it that you hope if someone hears this today, finds some interesting ideas that you have, when they pick up Christianity and cosmic consciousness, what is it you hope that they may walk away with? Well, I think with a more, uh, with a deeper understanding of uh, of, of Christianity, and uh, I, of course, uh, Christian uh, teachings have been distorted a lot. Uh, one of the big problems has been that uh, uh, the person of Christ uh, has been kind of separated from uh, from his teachings, and uh, uh, for example. Uh, Several years back, you could read that Christians, uh, uh, those were, uh, I, I believe, uh, uh, Syrian phalangists, uh, uh, that they were, they considered themselves Christians, but they slaughtered all these Muslims in a refugee camp. Uh, so this was an act by Christians because they identified themselves with Christ, but not, certainly not with his teachings. So I think that uh, if that reading this book, uh, people uh, maybe will understand that what Christ teaches, and especially uh, the sacrifice that he brings, uh, is, uh, is an example for us uh, uh, to love our neighbor and uh, that all the other things uh, that uh, 
churches teach, uh, many of them may well be true, uh, but they're not the essence of Christian teaching. So you mentioned this a little bit in the beginning. I don't think you're, correct me if I'm wrong, you're not trying to fly in the face of traditional religion or traditional church, but try to supplement the thinking? Is that is that your aim here? Yes, I think so. I, I, I think so. I think uh, that it would be the correct term, is uh, supplement the thinking. There is one thing, however, that uh, uh, I, uh, I, I think that uh, may be a little bit different uh, in, in my attitude and what I am trying to tell is that uh, uh, the Church is uh, very much teaching that Christ died in order to uh, pay for our original sin. And uh, I really doubt uh, that uh, there is such a thing as an original sin, and I am uh, more inclined to believe that there is an original fault that we cannot avoid, uh, namely that we're all one, uh, that we're all part of uh, the whole, and yet we are a part. Every individual necessarily somehow opposed to other individuals. I mean, uh, uh, the space I occupy, nobody else can occupy. Uh, the, the, the air I breathe, uh, nobody else can breathe. Uh, I have to destroy at least plants and uh, most people like myself, animals, in order to eat. Uh, and sooner or later, you are in conflict with some other person. And that's unavoidable. Uh, so this is our main problem. And uh, Jesus, by sacrificing himself, shows us that the way out of this isolation is sacrifice. And that's, I think, is a very important of Christianity that is, I think, more important than payment for this original sin of Adam. So one question before we begin to wrap up. You told me earlier before we before we started that you've written a couple of short stories, but this is really your first book endeavor, I guess, for the lack That's of a right. better term. How difficult was it, especially with uh, such an intriguing topic, to get your thoughts and get everything written? You've already told us of 50 years in the making, but I know you had to sit down with, with typewriter and our computer not so long ago and put this all together. Right, right. Well, I don't think it was too difficult. I just, uh, uh, I, I, I could collect my thoughts pretty well. I had, I've been preparing for it for a long time. Again, the name of the book we've been talking about today is Christianity and Cosmic Consciousness, a commentary on the words of Jesus by Dr. Alexis Hohen, who's been with us today on the IE Universe line. So I know it's available in several places. Doctor, tell us where we could find uh, more information about the, about the book. Well, I think that uh, on the, uh, it's available through the outlets like Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble, uh, that's uh, one thing I know. It's also available through iUniverse, uh, uh, and uh, I don't know if it's available in bookstores right now. I hope that it will be. Again, the book, Christianity and Cosmic Consciousness, a commentary on the words of Jesus. Dr. 
Alexis Hohen has been with us today. Your first book, Doctor, what, is there anything else on the burner? Are you thinking about uh, putting uh, thoughts on the paper for any other topic? Well, actually, I was uh, writing, uh, actually pleasing myself. I don't even know <laughs> if I would publish it about uh, the miracles uh, of, uh, of, of, of Jesus. Uh, first of all, uh, their likelihood uh, based on natural facts to begin with, and, and secondly, uh, uh, their symbolic meaning, which I think is very important and uh, uh, not thought about enough. Well, that sounds interesting as well. Dr. Hohen, thanks for being with us. Again, the name of the book, Christianity and Cosmic Consciousness, a commentary on the words of Jesus. Uh, it's available again at iUniverse. And Dr. Hohen, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much, too. Thank you. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Hello, this is iUniverse. I'm Casey Coomer. The book, Walking with Herb, A Spiritual Golfing Journey to the Masters, a novel by Joe S. Bullock. Joe, how are you, sir? Just fine. How are you, Casey? I'm doing well on this beautiful Texas day. Now, where are you from? I'm uh, in Las Cruces, New Mexico. We're having a very rare rainy day for us today. A rare rainy day, which we can fill with a beautiful interview about your book. Now, right off the top, where can we find your book? Right now, it's available on Amazon, and also it's being uh, put on iUniverse's website to be able to find it uh, through those two sources. Great. Well, so there's one solid way to get your book. Now, uh, do you have any blogs or websites or anything else like that our audience needs to be aware of? Well, they're, they're, I'm, right now I'm working through iUniverse to set one up. Okay, excellent. So, the, so basically, the future to come has many avenues in which we can find your material. Yes, sir. Now, if you don't mind, how did you come to write this book? Well, I've always liked to write, and, and I wrote a little bit in high school and in college, and then as time went on, my job my job entailed a lot of writing. I just decided that I would, uh, I'd like to, I've always had, it's always been on my bucket list to write a novel, and uh, I had uh, previously been published. I wrote a, a, an article that Goff Digest published in 2011 for their Father's Day issue, and that kind of encouraged me that, that I could write something that would, was publishable. And, and so I've always uh, wanted to do that, and I always wanted to tell this message about uh, motivating people. And then, like almost every guy that, or young guy that plays golf as a child, I had a fancy about about winning the Masters tournament or playing in the Masters tournament. And this, I got to do two things at once: provide a motivational message and uh, fulfill my Masters fantasy. Now, in a conversation, this might this might come up. Um, how would you present your book to a friend? 
I'd, I'd say to a friend, I'd say, I think you'll like this book. It, it presents a humorous view of, of using God to motivate yourself. And then also, if you're a golfer, it probably improve your golf game somewhat. There's a lot of spiritual involvement in the book as well. But uh, basically, it, it, it's a, a reaffirmation that if you'll have faith and, and trust in God, you can accomplish about anything. Very nice. A beautiful message and very to the point. Um, is your book based off of your life in some way? It, it's uh, there. There's a lot of, of correlations between uh, my life and and, and, the, and the protagonist in the book. We're we're both bankers. We're both played college golf and and some golf after that, and both long time marriages and had families and and so there's and, and both had similar fathers as well. And so there's there's a lot of correlation between the character in the book and myself. I guess that's a deep seated situation. You kind of put yourself out there in a way, did you? I suppose that you could say that for sure. <laughs> what better way to get your hearts and feelings out by writing a book? I commend you, sir. I've never written a book, and I might do it someday just based off your inspiration. Another question for you, now, who does this book appeal to and why? Well, I, I think, you know, uh, of course, people who are spiritually minded and also enjoy golf would get the most out of the book, I believe. Also, uh, but I've had some people review the book that uh, – uh, aren't really golfers that also seem just enjoy the message of it and sort of the humorous interplay between the protagonist and God and, and some of the characters in the book. So it, it, it also takes a little poke at bank examiners. <laughs> well, I guess that, you know, everybody's got some play there. <laughs> um, now, what scenes or characters would you like to highlight during this interview? Well, I think that the, where God first contacts the protagonist it is a neat scene. And do you want to describe that? or, or Please, or how, yes, how please we... elaborate. Okay, what happens is that my protagonist is also named Joe, and, you know, go figure. And, uh, and uh, he uh, has spent the weekend watching the Master Tournament on, on Sunday, just like I did yesterday. And the next day at work, he's uh, on his computer, and a message comes up from God. And God tells uh, Joe that he selected him to, to provide a message to the world, and the message is, is that you can do about anything you want to do. So he's going to ask Joe to do what is seemingly impossible, and that is to qualify and go play in the Masters tournament next year. And if his faith is strong enough, he might even win the tournament. And, of course, Joe reacts like he thinks it's his kids playing a trick on the computer at first, can't believe that's happening, and gradually is convinced that it did happen. Uh, and then uh, another scene was uh, when... Joe first meets Herb, who's the sort of the guru that God has assigned to prepare Joe on this mission. And they have quite an interplay between Herb and uh, and Joe and, and Herb's little dog. He's got a little dachshund dog named Tootie that's kind of a running character throughout the book as well. Then in some other scenes would, would be he teaches a young man a life lesson about golf and family in, in a tournament leading up to the Masters. And, then, and, and that's got some good... Uh, I, Oh, advice for people who may let golf get in the way of their family relationships. I've seen that happen way too many times where golf becomes so important that it becomes a four-letter word with respect to the man's family. And, and uh, instead of doing taking care of his wife and kids, he's on the golf course all the time. This is a lesson for th those, kind of, those kind of situations. And uh, then I, I, I think another uh, good scene is just the, the whole last round of the Masters, which takes up several of the last chapters of the book, where it goes into great detail about the course. I think a lot of people watched uh, the Masters on TV or actually been there. They relate very strongly to watch a, a kind of an average guy, how he would attack the course and get around with, with Herb's help and, and the interplay between the, the, the caddies and, and the players. It, it's uh, got some life lessons and some humor thrown in. Well, very interesting and very enlightening. Uh, I, I love where you're going with this. So what was the most challenging part about writing this book? 
as as a first time novelist, and I guess I even have to, it's kind of hard to even say that word. You got to put yourself out there. That's what you got to do. Yeah, put yourself out there. That it, it, that was organizing. I had the ideas, but then then organizing them into a logical pattern, making a sequence of events tying together, and 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 deepening the characters to make them more believable, and and uh, those sort of things were were hard to do, but 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 fun. It was interesting, challenging to uh, to get all the grammatical situations correct, and and the, just the format and the structure how to, how to get things in the right order was a big challenge to me, having never done it before. The book, Walking with Herb, A Spiritual Golfing Journey to the Masters, a novel by Joe S. Bullock. Now, as this is your first novel, what was the, I mean, it takes a lot of work to get prepared to write a book, but I mean, what did you do to research and prepare for writing this book? Well, I've researched a lot of history of the Masters, and of course, uh, I'd only been there once before to watch a practice round, so I I recalled a lot of what I could read in magazines about how each hold laid out as far as the distance and where sand traps and things like that were, so I could describe the course right. A lot of the basic uh, tenets in the book just came from my own experience, having uh, been in banking for over 40 years and and been a lifelong golfer and and, uh, and then a lifelong Christian uh, teaching Sunday school and things like this, so a lot of uh, the research was uh, wasn't real technical uh, research. It was just more looking up some facts and figures that, uh, to make sure I had some things right. But most of it came just right out of my head, off the top, so to speak. You might say that. What themes or foundation of wisdom do you wish to convey with any? That God is both omniscient and acceptable and approachable. That you had the chance to partner up with God. It's there every day. And people should take advantage of that. If if you are offered a chance to partner up with the world's best businessman to go in business or the world's most famous author to go write a book, you jump at it. You've got that chance every day uh, just to, to partner up with God and get things done in your life. It's uh, something we seem to ignore and not realize and not take advantage of. You want necessarily people just to grab life by the cojones, so to speak, and, and live it fully. Yes, yes. I mean, we just, like I tell you, we, we waste too much of our time just being mildly entertained, sitting around watching TV or, or, or just activities that don't require any effort on our part, and just to get through another day. And I think one of the reasons people are tired of us all the time is they're bored. We're, we're not out doing things we, we could be doing. The aspect of seeking something to hold their attention quickly and fast, right there, like a, like yeah, a snap we, we, of a finger. Yeah, exactly. We try to live these vicarious lives where we leave these, we <laughs> leave these lives to the actors and people like that instead of going out and doing things ourselves. I guess like a false representation of reality is what it is. I think that's a good description of it. Well, uh, what is next? Do you have anything else coming up as far as books or letters or anything? Well, I'm, I'm looking. I, I don't really have any firm ideas left, uh, uh, or right now at the moment. I'm, uh, I'm wanting. I'm just, it's just my first novel, just to see how it does, and if it, if it, if it does well, that would inspire me to go on and, and do some more uh, writing. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Was it was, uh, it was a thrill just to see it in print, I'm, and I'm so glad I took the advice of I don't, uh, Ken Blanchard, who's the uh, author of several books, the One Minute Manager being his most. Uh, well-known book. He read the book for me and advised me to take it to someone like iUniverse to, to, to help develop it, and I'm sure glad that, that he did that. And It's been a real good experience. Uh, and if this is successful, I think that would inspire me to do some more. I'm, I'm about at retirement age, so I would then have a lot of time to do things like this, and I think that would be a great way to spend retirement is just working on novels all the time. Well, I love your ambition. You seem very excited about it. 
Why am I? I say it's just. I know you, you you haven't read a book yourself. There's something about seeing your name on a book that, that's pretty darn cool. <laughs> and, I, I, and I felt the same way when Goth Digest published the, that article about my father. I wrote for them back in 2011 to be in a, a magazine like that that's published all over the world was just pretty cool for a small town guy like me. I just it, it uh, was quite a thrill. Well, that's good. I mean, uh, that moment where you're like, hey, that's me. That's my name right there. Yeah, I say it's been very, very rewarding just from that standpoint. Well, that's great. That really is great. What was your process in writing this book? Basically, I, I think it's a process that I, I happened upon that I think most novelists do. You start writing the story, getting things down as much as you can, and go back and try to fix things later. Okay. Just keep the ideas flowing and, and, and get them down and then not worry about punctuation or if it's structured correctly, just get the, the thing down on paper. Then come back in and, and edit it yourself and get it going in the right direction. Oh, right on. Now, you, you mentioned an author that inspired you. Who was that again? Well, uh, Ken Blanchard, uh, I wrote him. One of the things I did, I think the major thing I did that was helpful for getting this book to where it is today is I sent drafts of it to several famous people, and, and quite a few of them responded back with encouragement about the book and some advice. And one of those was Ken Blanchard, like I say, who, who's uh, very well known for having written The, uh, the One-Minute Manager, which is a very, very uh, large-selling business uh, advice book. And, and he was very, very nice. He called me and talked to me about what I should do with this. And he's and he's one of the people that's recommend that's recommending the book that's on the jack of the book as a as a recommender. I I, I was very lucky. I I got uh, responses from Mark Medoff who wrote the uh, Children of Lesser God, he, uh, and he's a, a Tony Award winner and Oscar nominated. Uh, Bernhard Langer, who's uh, won the Masters tournament twice and is uh, one times number one ranked player in the world. Wow. Wrote, wrote a response for it. Uh, then there's been uh, uh, Craig T. Nelson, the actor coach. Um, He's uh, was that coach show uh, series on TV that, and he's played, uh, been an award-winning actor and, and producer, and he wrote a, a nice uh, comments about the book that they're also in the, uh, um, uh, in in the book, and then Bill Rogers, who was who won the British Open and was a very well-known golfer back when he was active playing, wrote some nice comments about the book, and so I've been very lucky to have some some well-known people give me some nice feedback on it. Well, it seems uh, like you've got an audience already ready to have it in their hands. Yeah, well, and, and I had another thing that's kind of unusual. I had a fellow write me named Guy Wimberly, who was the PGA uh, uh, home pro, you know, teaching pro of the year uh, back several years ago. He wrote me a note and said he thought it was the best golf instruction book he'd ever written, he'd ever read <laughs> it about is, how to play golf better. <laughs> <laughs> how to approach the game from another standpoint. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, well, there's quite a bit in the book that involves the mental, involves the mental side of golf. And, uh you know, one of the great things about golf, I'm kind of rambling here, one of the great things about golf, it's like a microcosm of life. You have good things happen, bad things happen, you have to deal with them, and, and, and how you deal with them is it really, it's like learning life lessons in kind of a bloodless arena where you don't really, nobody gets killed. You know, and uh, it's just a great teacher of a lot of good life lessons about how to respond instead of react negatively, negatively and things like that. Well put. Well put. I, I have attempted golf at times, and, and I'll honestly admit one of the most challenging sports I've ever attempted. And I haven't even had an opportunity to go back towards that. So if you, if you even have the ambition to play golf and do it on a regular basis, commence to you, sirs. Well, let me uh, let me uh, read the quote from Mark Madoff, which speaks to what you just said, okay? Sure. Uh, Joe Bullock has elevated the mundane to the spiritual and given golf – Ordinary a sport no one in his right mind should attempt, a grace that rarely manifests. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you have this repertoire of people that are, are basically excited and prepped for your book and ready to tell their friends. 
Well, and, and again, I did not know. I'd never written a novel before, but I thought that one of the best ways to get attention is to get some recommendations from people who uh, were well-respected. And so that that's what I – and I was very fortunate to have as many of them respond to my inquiries. as, as I, you know, I had several drafts of the book and sent them out to well-known people and was lucky to get – some really nice responses from some really well-known people. So that really makes me feel – that really encouraged me to keep going with this this project. Who knows? Maybe it's going to encourage you to write the next novel or book. Who knows? I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm 66 years old. I'm going to retire one of these days, and I, I think that would be a great way to spend retirement would be to be working on novels all the time. 66 is really the new 25. Why to have achy for a 25-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> Ah, oh, that's beautiful. Um, well, are there any uh, final thoughts and things that we just need to cover about your book? Anything that you would like to have as a close, so to speak? Well, I, I think it'll appeal to people who are golfers and people who aren't golfers. Anyone who just needs kind of a little um, spiritual vitamin to make them think about some things maybe in ways they haven't thought about it. And, and I think people who read it will find it entertaining. It, it, it's it's. Uh, it's it's not a long read. It's about 160 pages, and, and I think it'll it'll be like a little spiritual vitamin for people. I love that term, spiritual vitamin. You're going to have to trademark that one right there. I just came up with it, just like you did your deal a minute ago. <laughs> <laughs> spiritual vitamin by Joe S. Bullock, the next novel. I bet you. Uh, that could be the top of our next book. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be in the next one for sure. Well, well Joe, this has been a, an absolute pleasure. Um, the book Walking with Herb, A Spiritual Golfing Journey to the Masters, a novel by Joe S. Bullock. This has been a pleasure, sir. Oh, thank you. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Venus, Don't Go There. What Science and Religion Reveal About Life After Death. And the author is Dr. Michael T. Santini. And Dr. Santini joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, doctor. Hello, Steve. Great to have you with us. This is a fascinating book with some ideas that I think are going to challenge people's thinking about life after death. Where do the unrighteous go after death? What is the plight of the guilty after the day of judgment? You're mixing science with theology and coming up with some great, great views for the future. And, well, even for today, aren't you? Well, I'm certainly trying. You know, my background is as an aerospace engineer, so 
I have a lot of history working with space vehicles, and I grew up being a uh, fan of astronomy. So I've always had an interest in outer space. And in later years, I was able to attend seminary uh, to the point of getting uh, a doctorate. So I have, I'm able to put together science and religion, uh, probably mostly because of my background. And what you're trying to show is that heaven and hell are real places in the physical universe. Uh, that's correct. That's correct. You know, they're not ethereal. Uh, they're actually physical locations. Uh, in the Bible, Jesus appeared with uh, Moses and Elijah in the Transfiguration and demonstrated that eternal beings can exist in our material world within space and time. So there's biblical evidence teaching us that, you know, that, that uh, places like heaven and hell do exist in the material world within our space and time continuum. So people who are dying right now and who have died, and if they, I guess, uh, as you call them, unrighteous, where are they? Okay, well, you know, <clears throat> when you die, either you either are uh, going to be in coming, going to the presence of God, the presence of the Lord, or you're going to be separated from God, depending on how, you know, uh, what you did with your life, whether you accepted Jesus. I mean, there's different, we can get into a whole realm of theology about that, but uh, there is a, um, the unrighteous will basically go into a holding tank, which is in the center of the earth called Hades, and they're going to wait, await final judgment. Um where the righteous people go into heaven, a celestial location, which I have yet to identify. Uh, and they're going to return with Jesus uh, at the end of the age to come back to earth. And then earth, the planet earth, will be the eternal kingdom of God. It will be heaven on earth in the end, Steve. Heaven on earth. What a wonderful, just a wonderful thing to think about. Obviously, uh, the opposite is uh, very scary. And so your book just points out we better make sure we're following the right, I guess, the right spiritual leader and uh, our Savior. Absolutely correct. Yeah, this book is really about Jesus and coming to Jesus and serving him and, uh, you know, confessing that he's Lord and Savior of our life. That's really the point of the book. And... Um, he, the guy uses all sorts of ways to draw people to him, and this this idea, uh, which I think is a very uh, good idea, is to demonstrate that places like Venus uh, can, in terms of, if you want to portray a model of hell or a model of, play, of a place people go, because Revelation 20.15 says that uh, if your name is not written in the book of life, you are thrown into the lake of fire, which is, which is hell. Um that places like Venus can very closely model the biblical hell. If you look at the scriptures, you can line up the environmental conditions of Venus with what the Bible teaches hell is like and get very scared and worried that it does exist and you don't want to go there. So definitely when we think about the planet Venus, which is a whole lot closer to the sun and because of the way it is formed, uh, it literally is a lake of fire. Uh, def most definitely. The surface temperature of Venus is 864 degrees Fahrenheit. It is actually the hottest <clears throat> location in the entire solar system. I mean, it's hotter than the planet's Mercury, which is even closer to the sun, because Venus has a cloud cover which captures the heat. 
and soaks it all in. And there is no temperature change between day and night on Venus, whether the you're on the sun side or the dark side of Venus, the temperature always remains at 864 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's why the Bible calls hell an unquenchable lake of fire. There is no cooling effect on Venus. So it fits as an unquenchable location where the heat never, the nighttime does not quench the heat. And thus Um, it is perdition. It can be perdition. I I list, I have a chapter, chapter five, you know, my book builds to a crescendo, Steve, and talks about science and religion coming together cosmologically since the beginning of time. I use, I bring a lot of evidence to the table to talk about how gravity affected uh, affects the soul, how, it, how, how a soul does have mass, how when Jesus was on the earth walking in his resurrected physical body, he had material weight and he was gravity bound to the earth. I do have evidence about how science relates to the biblical passages and it builds to a crescendo in chapter five, which talks about all the environmental conditions of Venus relating to the biblical hell. One of the strongest ones, Steve, is where it tells us that the lake of fire burns with an unquenchable fire. It's a, it's a, it's, it burns with fire and brimstone is exactly what the Bible says. And brimstone is an old scientific name for sulfur. So the Bible tells us in a, in a couple locations, not just one, and I point these out in my book, um, that the Bible, that, the, that the, how the lake of fire burns with sulfur. In other words, if sulfur is not just a chemical compound lying on the ground, but it is literally burning. Now you say to yourself, well, how does that relate to Venus? Well, amazingly, Steve, when you research what they've discovered on Venus, there is lightning, even as we speak, there is lightning in the atmosphere going on. And Venus is a world teeming with sulfur. It's in, uh, it's in sulfur compounds like sulfur dioxide, um, hydro, uh, sulfuric acid. Uh, there's several compounds that contain sulfur in the Venus atmosphere. And they detected above the surface of Venus, probably 5, 10, 15, 20 miles into the atmosphere, that there is literally continuous lightning events going on. This lightning is not like we're sure the lightning on Earth where it brings rain, but this lightning is actually chemical fires. Chemical fires are actually occurring on Venus right now where the sulfur is literally burning. So Venus is a place where you have burning sulfur, just like the Bible tells us the lake of fire hell is. It's a place of burning sulfur. And amazingly, the Venus Express, the last European space agency set up a satellite called uh, Venus Express about 10 years ago, which just completed its mission. And it was able to verify what previous Soviet Union and American spacecraft were able to detect. And that was the, the physical presence of lightning in the atmosphere. And this is a phenomenal thing, Steve. It's not anything to be overlooked. And so they've, we've come to the conclusion, scientists have come to the conclusion, that sulfur is literally burning on that planet. Well, again, you are aligning the science of physical cosmology to correct biblical theology, and that's pretty exciting and pretty overwhelming. Well, thank you. Um, you know, I'm not, I kind of take this all in sort of humbly, you know, because there's been a lot of people in the science world who try to tie science and religion together. I mean, Hugh Ross, uh, his Reasons to Believe ministry spends a lot of time trying to send t- tie science and religion together. Uh, not a lot of 
Not a lot of Christian ministries do it. That we're, we're definitely in the minority. A lot of a lot of Christian ministries uh, object to science because of evolution. They object to science because of of um, some of the things that science teaches, which they believe is contrary to Scripture, which I don't necessarily agree with. But I'm one, I'm in the minority with with people like Hugh Ross. We believe science and religion work together, and we believe that it's you know that God ordained science and religion to work together from the very beginning, that that really it's the men of science and the men of religion who don't get along, that, that, that really, Steve, all truth meets at the top. And that's what people want to hear. They want to know. People don't want to go to church on Sunday or turn on the television and, and listen to a show about a cosmology and, and think that science and religion are separated. That's that's very unsettling to the human soul. They want to know that it all fits together. And I and and the truth of the matter is it does. And that's the way it is already as already was always always intended to fit together by God. And there's comfort here, Steve. There's comfort for people. This isn't a divisive book. This is actually a book that you can actually feel good about because you're finally seeing the science and religion come together. Well, and in chapter two, you give the warning voice through prophets, the teachings of Jesus, the warning of the Apostle Paul about perdition. Of course, of course. You know, um, God loves us, and he wants us to, you know, be right with him. And the way you be right with him is to turn from your sin, turn from your wickedness, and put your trust in Jesus. So, you know, the Christian message is a very valid one because, you know, it, what does it really take to come to the cross? What does it really take to come to Jesus except a humble heart and a contrite heart that just confesses, you know, God, I need you. And, you know, God will save you in an instant. And so, you know, these places, you know, the idea of heaven on earth is a beautiful place. God wants us to dwell with him forever. He, he loves us and cares about us. And wants us to be with, uh, you know, our, you know, this new heaven and new earth, which is what, what's going to really happen is, is that the Lord is going to restore the planet Earth to the time of the Garden of Eden, when it was a paradise. And so we're going to come back and live in a parad- paradise type environment, um, and and rule and reign with the Lord on the planet. And and so places like perdition, places like hell, is, is given as a warning for people who don't want to heed the message. So the chapter two basically addresses all the warnings that are given in the Bible about avoiding hell and the consequences of hell. And to add to that, you have this vignette, this afterlife vignette of six men, as you call it, in a lava tube. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the end of the book. And it's really what it is, is um, I portray six unsaved men who are judged and sent to Venus and they're sitting in and and on the planet Venus Steve there are millions of lava tubes because the planet is just covered with with volcanism it's covered with lava fields and lava flow and there's hundreds and hundreds of volcanoes on the surface and and you've heard of lava tubes form on the planet and these caves and uh, rifts on the planet is where the unsaved are going to reside they're going to be brought to these places they're going to be set inside these lava tubes, and they're going to be housed in small groups. And I have a vignette that talks about six unsaved men who are sitting in this lava tube after 10 or 20 years on Venus, and what's what's going on, what they're thinking, uh, what happened, and how hopeless their situation is. 
a very unique perspective to life after death. Venus, don't go there. And we've been listening to Dr. Michael T. Santini. Dr. Santini, what's the best way to get your book? Uh, my book's available on Amazon. Uh, it's available on Barnes & Noble, and it's on the iUniverse uh, bookstore, online bookstore. So those are the three main uh, ways to purchase the book. And I, I'm, I guess I'm on some international websites, though I've, I've not gone out and seen it. I was promised that they would be there also. So for any foreign listeners with the, uh, their favorite bookstores in other countries, they should look there first uh, and, and see if it's there before going uh, to Amazon or the other places. Thank you so much for joining us on iUniverse Radio. Oh, you're very welcome, sir. Thank you, Steve, for the opportunity to uh, for this interview. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.